and the week before that, there was a bucket loaded salmon. And they didn't actually understand the reason why. But I knew the answer. I knew the answer because I had read a paper from a Scottish fishery biologist. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space. For the benefit of all humankind. Your host in Guildford, England, Matthew Russell. So I am joined on the podcast by cultural astronomer and Paleolithic researcher, Bernie Taylor. Welcome to the podcast, Bernie. Matt, thank you for having me on. It's been years that I've been listening to your program and waiting to get a spot. Oh, yes. Well, that's that's uh, very kind. I've, I sometimes sit here thinking, God, have I done everything? Have I gone through every every subject? Uh, and starting to repeat myself. And I sometimes feel as though it's a, it's a bit frustrating because I'll do a p- podcast and then a couple of years later I'll have forgotten everything that I ever learned about the topic of that particular podcast and do it again and, and feel a bit depressed about it. But I don't think I've gone anywhere near the topic of conversation that we're doing today, which... Well, I'll let, I'll let Bernie, I'll let, I'll let you kind of introduce the topic. What, what is the topic? So, Matt, we're going to go on a journey. We're going to go on a journey among Native Americans. But before we go there, I'm going to take you to a stream that I went to early, about 2001. I was doing research with Oregon Fish and Wildlife. And we went down to the stream. We're doing salmon juvenile counts. Juveniles go out to the ocean. They come back as adults. And in that day, it was just lo- the bucket you know, from the trap was loaded with salmon. But the week before, there was no salmon in the trap. And the week before that, there was a bucket loaded salmon. And they didn't actually understand the reason why. But I knew the answer. I knew the answer because I had read a paper from a Scottish fishery biologist. Back to, back to about, it was about 1980. So the secret, this, this, this Scottish, his name was J.E. Thorpe, University of Glasgow. I assume he's deceased by now, but because it was a long time ago. And I knew the answer. But they didn't know the answer, and I didn't tell them the answer. But what they did have, they had many years. They probably had about 15 years of data by trapping juvenile salmon. They went out every day to trap the salmon. And they had these graphs, and I looked at these graphs, and I looked at it, and I said, Thorpe Thorpe has it. Now, Thorpe had it for Atlantic salmon. Why? Because he was working hatcheries and trying to make more salmon. And the answer was before Thorpe. Native Americans had the answer. Native Americans have always had the answers and the answers. <laughs> and in this case, we're going to go back in time. We're going to go back to the uh, Yakut salmon on the California coast. And on the California coast, the Yakut salmon would, they'd start at the winter solstice. And everybody knows the winter solstice. We just passed it. Okay. And then they would go to the new moon after the winter solstice. And that would start their count. And they would say six lunation after the new moon, they would start preparing to catch the salmon. Or in this case, they're stealer trout. But we'll say the salmon. So six lunation after the, after, after the first new moon, after the winter solstice, they would, tent for 10 days, they'd go out and say, the salmon are coming, the salmon are coming. And everybody would huddle around and start getting ready. And then for 10 more days, they would build the traps. And it kind of a weir across the river. And the salmon kind of gets stuck in it and they, they dip them up. So they, didn't like, they weren't like throwing a line out there and they weren't spearing them. They, you know, it was, it was gentle, right? And so they did it and they... they they fish for salmon for four or five days, and then they tear the whole thing down. And so Indians upriver had their chance. So it was part of it was management management in time. So if we if we go back, if we go back to this thing, we go the first new moon after the after the winter solstice, you count six low nation, you're at the new moon. You count 20 days, 
you're in the dark, dark of the moon period when the salmon are migrating. Well, that was exactly what was happening with the juvenile salmon that I watched in these traps on the Oregon coast. Is that the, the, the peak of counts were during the dark of the moon and there was no salmon. We're talking like zero salmon <laughs> during the light around the full moon period. And it, it was that simple. So it's about the sun and it's about the moon and it's about Native Americans having this all along. So why does this happen? Why does this happen? Well, you might have some friends these days that have seasonal affective disorder. They were, they're sad, right? It's, it's sad. It's the word, right? Okay. You know, they, they wake up at, at this time of year and, you know, it's, the light doesn't come up till 730. They've got a lot of melatonin in their system. They have sleep in their system. That's what it is. And if they go to their doctor, the doctor's going to say, you got to get a high intensity light. You got to put it on in the morning. First thing in the morning, 15 minutes, and you'll feel better and you'll no longer be sad. So it's about light and darkness. And so we respond, we fall asleep or we're drowsy during the dark, dark, and we're active during the awake. Well, the salmon are just the opposite. They're awake during the light. And I'm sorry, they're, they're, during, the, during the light time, they're, 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 they huddle up and they're kind of depressed um, and they to pr protect against predators, birds and things like that. Whereas the dark of the night, they're on the move. And that's when they'll catch them in the, the juveniles and the traps. So that's the bio that's the biology lesson of the day. Okay, so we we've covered the biology. So now we've got to talk. Well, I'd, I'm going to ask a simple question: How you would have thought that they would have noticed that? Did did they just not ever compare their kind of calendar to the lunar cycle? In fact, the Thor, <laughs> oh, just crazy. So Thor, um, <laughs> Jay Thor from the University of Glasgow, he recognized that there were lunar rhythms of the the juveniles going out to the ocean. But he wasn't an astronomer. He missed the biggest element of this whole thing. I mean, the big, the big kahuna. The moon is out of sync with the sun. The sun is 365 plus. 29 and a half divided into it is 11 days short of 365. Okay. And so if it's a new moon, oh, let's say hypothetically new moon was on January 11th of 12th of one year, it would be January 1st of the next year. So the, because the moon is out of sync with the sun, the salmon migrations were migrating earlier or later from one year to the next. That's why salmon mm. migrate earlier or later from one year to the next. It's not about the weather. It's not about what the newspapers say. It's that simple concept. No, Thorpe didn't realize that. And Thorpe, absolutely brilliant. I mean, he bought biochemist. And the, the, the Oregon Fish and Wildlife people didn't know it either because they weren't looking up. They were looking down. And they weren't astronomers. Very simple astro astronomical concept. Now, the, the, the Uruk sort of knew it, okay? They sort of <laughs> knew it. I'm going to tell you, they sort of knew it, okay? So they knew how, they know how to catch salmon if you did this, this, and that. And they had all these steps worked out. And it was passed on to the, like, so, sort of the, the tribal spiritual leader passed, passed on to his apprentice. So everybody didn't know how, how it went. And what, so the, so when I was doing this way back when, I already knew the answer because I searched Thorpe stuff and I said, well, this must apply to that. But I also had, I put, I had graphs around my room of all these salmon migrations, both the juveniles and the adults. And I was thinking, well, I'm going to go fishing for salmon one day. When do I go? And my pro, I didn't, I didn't see the, I didn't, I missed the solar thing too. Okay. And I looked at it and I'm like, oh my God, I get it now. I get it. This was a Christmas Eve. My daughter's, my daughter's like one years old and she's in bed. It's 11 o'clock at night. It was like a brick just fell in my head. And I reached out to a chronobiologist, people who study the, the biological clocks of animals. I reached out to him two days later and his name was Palmer. 
very famous world uh, famous and he said at well, I, I told i told him what i what i think's going on and i said has anybody had this in print and there was silence on the end of the phone for like 30 seconds and he said exactly what you said i can't believe we missed it <laughs> and what it was is people were studying you know in the moment of the salmon or the crabs or the, the geese or whatever it was but what it establishes is that these animals are tied by the, the the light and darkness of both the sun and the moon, which are out of sync with each other. And that's why the migrations of all species on this planet are earlier or later from one year to the next. So next time you're driving down the road with your, your, your cousin or your, your, your mother-in-law or whatever, and, she's, and they say, well, you know, the, the geese are late this year. The geese are never early and the geese are never later. They're on their own time, what I call the biological time. And it's all, and this is, so in, this is like intuitive for astronomers. It's like, you know, you know, you, you, you go out, you want to do a, a dark moon sky watch, right? Okay, it's the star watch. I mean, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so you watch the calendar, you realize it's earlier or later. But it's not, it's not into life fisher wildlife biologist. And when I came out with this early 2000, um, it was, in the U.S., it was covered like hundreds of newspapers and on PBS, which is like your BBC. It was really cool. It was a lot of fun. And for years later, but I dropped it. I dropped it about 2006. I wrote some papers, wrote a book, Biological Time. It gave a lot of presentations. And I said, uh, this, I'm not going to spend my whole life doing this. I'm going to raise my daughters, coach soccer and all that sort of stuff. Because this is as, as far as I could go. But what I did during that time period is I also connected this to the Native American traditions. I also connected to Upper Pillow, the cave art. And so this, this, these biological concepts, con concepts on the upper with cave art when the deep when the deer rut when the salmon migrate when the when the, the mares drop their their foals because it was basic knowledge in that time I mean, you you couldn't live without it i mean instantly i mean instantly i'm sitting here thinking you know the the whole idea of dark skies now is so rare that we're completely disconnected and probably have been for centuries, really, from the night sky in the in the way that someone like, <laughs> yeah, we're, people from a couple, 3,000, 4,000, et cetera, years ago are so much more connected to the night sky, aren't they, than, than we have been for, for, for centuries, particularly since the Industrial Revolution. And it, it, presumably that plays an enormous part into this kind of almost lost connection, looking down all the time. Yes, the loss of science was the invention of the light bulb. Because once we invented the light bulb, we went out of sync with the rhythms of the sun, or the moon at least, but still of the sun. There was a book years ago written called Lunar Men, and it was Darwin and a whole bunch of people in that time period. And they, they, it was called the Lunar Men because they traveled to their meetings by the light of the full moon. So they timed it around the full moon. And so, but, but by the time of the light bulb came around, everybody had light bulbs, we, it didn't matter when we had the meetings, it didn't matter when we had a podcast, we, we created our own, our own light. Now, back then with the, with the Native Americans, the indigenous traditions, I didn't know much more than the, the salmon. I knew that, you know, what I did know from the biological literature that there was a lot of um, people that studied lunar rhythms, you know, that this bird drops an egg around the full moon, hypothetically. And this, this, those serengeti wildebeest drops their, their, their foals or their young calf um, around the dark of the moon. I had that down. But what I did know is that around the world, people had these calendars. And I was visiting, visiting family in the East Coast, East Coast, you know, like Eastern side of the United States, right? you know, like, not like 
know, Shrew, you know, London or something, right? Okay, East Coast of the United States. <laughs> yeah. And I, I visited a library. It's it the kind of thing I do. It's a university library. It's, it's, it's a thing, right? And I'm not embarrassed. It's just it's who I am. I'm okay with that. Okay. <laughs> and it, I was looking for papers about this sort of thing, of lunar calendars. And I went down to the basement and uh, where, they, where they sent me to go and find the calendars, the Indian calendars. And the American, uh, American Museum of Natural History had expeditions and papers around the turn of the last, last century, so 1901, 1902. And they had scores of paper that ethnologists had written about Native American and Siberian traditions as well. And they're obviously they're the same calendars. And when I, I opened up this box, the paper the the papers kind of fell apart. And so to copy them, I had to first I had to piece them back together, put them in the copy machine, and nobody sees I'm doing this. Well, the, so the problem was back then. So this is this is uh, you know 2005 or so, 2006. The ethnographic information wasn't widely available, and so people who were studying lunar calendars could never have, you know, got into Google and found and so put lunar calendars for salmon hypothetically and it would pop up Thompson Indians in British Columbia because you couldn't connect mm. to that that time because the American Museum of Natural History had it in boxes and libraries that was crumbling apart. But now you can't because it's all digit. It's all digitized. Okay. And so um, what I found was going through these calendars is that every lunation was a different animal or and it also included plants so they, but they were always the, the lunation of the first of the first salmon of the dropping of the young or the rut of the deer now there your rook that i just talked about we said there was six lunation from the from the f first new moon after the winter solstice that was not the first salmon or steelhead okay but what happens is salmon and steel, steelhead come over in multiple lunations during the dark, each dark of the moon. So they actually come over four or five months. So it's like cheating. I mean, you, you, all you need to know, it's the dark of the moon. But they didn't know how to get the first because because they didn't know. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to figure out how to get the first ones. Because I see now in all these lunar calendars, they've got the first salmon. The, the first salmon, they, they say the first rut of the deer. They say the first of this, which the Uruk weren't doing. And so that became, it was also a more interesting question because salmon, salmon juveniles, they go out really to the ocean, it might be too cold. And if they go out late, it might be too warm. Okay. For deer, if the deer, if the juveniles, the, 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 for the deer juveniles drop, drop too early, it could be too cold. They drop too late. They can't roam with the herd. So there's like a magic moment that shifts around, that shifts around. And if, if you can figure out that magic moment, you could figure out the, the, um, the, the abundance or survival rate of any animal. So you can really, you can, you can say, well, next year there's going to be a, a heck of a boatloads of salmon. And next year there's going to be like scores of hares. If you know, if you can figure out when is the first, when is the first, because then you could figure out from one year to the next, because we in astronomy, we have cycles of both the sun and the moon. We have the so cycle. Let me, so just so I can get my head right. So this is, this is all to do with the relationship between where we are in seasons, i.e. what the sun's doing, and how the moon relates in kind, because it's out of sync. Yes. It's, it's not following seasons, and therefore how it re relates to that. And so one year you might have an abundance of something because, but because of the happenstance of where the moon is in its particular cycle. Yeah. To the sun cycle is that is, is that's is, exactly am it. I getting that right? Because the salmon, yeah, yeah. they say, if a salmon's going to spawn hypothetically October first, it can't keep moving back in time eleven days every year, so it has to reset yeah. itself for the season. 
Okay. And uh, uh, of course, it can't yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. And so the, so we're, we're, this is all astronomy. This, we're not talking biology. This is all, this is uh, cultural astronomy um, and arc astronomy, perhaps. So the, they can't be moving back in time. So they have to reset, they reset themselves. And that resetting, because re, resetting um, tells you when the first salmon would be. So how do you know when the resetting would be? Because then you could, you, you, you're literally God. I mean, you're not playing God, but you can see through the eyes of God. You know the future. Mm. It's ops, it's, it's, it'd be a fascinating concept. So I spent a year or two working on that. And I employed a statistician for, from a local university to help me with this. And we couldn't figure it out. I can tell you three years in a row what's going to happen. But in the fourth year, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to slip back or stay on the same trip. And so, it's, and so that's almost, like key. It, three it's years almost, in a row doesn't really work. You're not going to get published in nature for three years. Yeah, it's, 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 it's almost like trying to get a feel for when Easter's going to be, right? That's, that's, that's the thing that I'm trying to think so of. So Easter like, is it's related to... Easter is the first sign yeah. that exceeds the, the, first full, the first sign that exceeds the first full moon after the vernal equinox. So you know, always know when Easter is. In fact, what you can do is you can use, you can, because, because though it's, it's the, the Sunday after the full moon, it's, it's typically going to arrive on a, the dark of the moon. And so you can use Easter to time the arrival of Sabbath. That's such a night. It won't be the first one. <laughs> it won't be the first one, which all ties into the, you know, the, the, the Catholic Protestant traditions, right? You know, the, the fish and all that sort of stuff, yeah. rival fish. So that's that's why. Oh, so 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 there actually is a connection then. Oh, so there absolutely. is a connection to oh, the kind of. Uh, right. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works. Oh, also, wow. The the, the the eggs and all that sort of stuff. The, the birds are dropping the eggs at certain times during, during the lunar cycle and within the solar year. So you can time the whole thing. So I'm trying to I'm trying to play God. I always look through the eyes of God. I can't figure it out. And so I visited the tribes here in in Oregon, and I gave presentations to the tribes and all this whole concept and how it relates to what they're doing. And I always ask them the question. How do you know when the first salmon are coming? And in every case, they tell me this a story. This it's a story about two uh, two two mountains fighting the volcanic mountains in, in Oregon fighting with each other by volcanic you know eruption sort of stuff mm. over another mountain which is the girl and there's a coyote involved and then there's salmon and then there's swallow sisters and they, they and the swat and this the um, the salmon breaks through the volcanic eruptions that fell in the river um, and that so then the salmon can come through. But before the salmon come through, the swallows come through. That's the key thing. So they were timing the first Ooh. salmon off of the swallows. And they would say four days after the swallows arrived, the, the first salmon would arrive. And, so, and that was how they've been doing this since time immemorial. And as I looked around the world, I looked at different calendars. Most indigenous peoples didn't do what the Uruk were doing, counting six lunations from the, from the winter solstice. What they were doing is they were timing off a key animal. And so the, the, the Yami off the coast of Taiwan, what they do, they're indigenous people, uh, sort of the non-Chinese indigenous people, they, 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 their calendar started with the arrival of the flying fish. And it would be during the dark of the moon. And they go out, 13, they go out 12 little nations the last time it appeared. And if it doesn't appear, they go out a month later and, they, and then it does appear and it starts the calendar. And they would have hundreds of marine species that followed in, this, in the progression of the flying fish. Okay. And calendars here in the north in the northwest of where I live, they would start with, for example, the the, the Thompson engine British Columbia would start with the rut of the deer. The, the rut of the deer would then tell you the gestation period of the deer into the spring when they drop, and that would continue the calendar for the year because it's a fixed gestation meet. Once you know when the rut starts, they they mate, you figure it out the rest from there. And they have all the animals or so on. So they always started with an indicator species, with except for the Uruk. But they they cheated because they didn't catch the first salmon anyway. They were 
because there are multiple <laughs> multiple humps on the run. Okay, and they run multiple runs over the period. And so the so if one could figure out the the, indi- the indicator species, you could just live the biological clock. So you could be astrobiologist. It's that simple. Mm. But you have to what you know. And if you live in an environment where you, you know you, you kind of figure it out after a few thousand years, you can do it. But you can't see through the eyes of God as I wanted to see, and you know, and be immortal, and you know, Zeus, all that sort of stuff. Um, it was it wasn't possible. But the answer, my initial my initial path to this was through the Scottish biologist J. E. Thorpe. I have no idea what J. E. stands for from the University of Glasgow, who wrote a paper in a book back about um, 1980 or so. Rhythm, rhythmic activity in fishes. I'm sure it's on your shelf, you know, up there with the. <laughs> right behind me in fact. and so it's, yeah. it's a it's no. a fascinating story so now we're going to talk about we're going to talk about astronomy we're going to talk about deep space because this is an astronomy program and this all ties into astronomy okay so we're going to we're going to do the, the mind meld and really go deep and oh okay oh here we go so so the so we're saying that the so what i'm saying is that the animals on this planet um, perhaps plants 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 as well are timed by the rhythms of both the sun and the moon, and that's how they know where to be in space and time and be there together. So if if they're not the same calendar, they're they're on the same clock. They don't they're not there to mate together. I mean, the salmon, if the salmon's early or late relative to the what it really is the biological clock, that salmon disappears from. The- yeah. Well, well, here's a question for you. I mean, one of the one of the things that the moon is obviously hyper important or, or, and may even be essential for was this idea that without the moon, we don't stabilize our orbit enough. Yes. And, and the moon also creates a nice pushing and pulling of yes. the tides, which may be essential for a life to really have got going on the planet, et cetera, et cetera. This, it might be vital. Oh, it's more than vital. It is the answer to everything. It, it, is, the, it is the answer well, to the yeah, Drake equation. It, uh, it is the which doesn't include this, by the way, and it needs to include this. Okay? Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, and and it, well, it, yeah. I, I've talked about uh, what's it the the, the special Earth uh, sort of kind of the you know unique that the fact that we're maybe not seeing how unique Earth is, but the but also it it seems this kind of out of sync with lunar and and solar cycles is it it obviously probably plays a a pretty unique role in terms of biodiversity for oh, example yes, because yeah, presumably yeah, yeah. absolutely it completely and actually it actually limits evolution evolutionary change of animals because the animals shifting back and forth in time they experience different environments and that's why we don't have like sudden and instant um you know we don't see a new animal evolve every year because of the environment because they their natural mechanism moves them back and forth in time and so they they they, they biologically adapt by winners and losers but yeah, presumably that makes most species a little bit more hardy than they might be otherwise. Yes, absolutely, a lot more hardy. So Darwin mm, was wow. Darwin was wrong. My, my, about my that mind's point. going now. Okay, actually, I can tell you, I gave this, I gave a present this, this, this to a, a, a fishery group a long time ago, and one of the biologists came to the same conclusion. He just said Darwin was wrong. Basically, what you just said, right? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But Darwin was I right something else. Because I, I actually read The Origin of Species, every, the book that everybody has an opinion on, but very few people have actually read. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, the ch- end of chapter three in Origin of Species, what, what Darwin says is that 
if you have a traumatic change in the environment and the animal becomes um, isolated, then they can start a new evolutionary path. Okay. So what you're doing is you're taking them out of the mainstream of this, this normal back and forth every few years that they, they have this hardiness and you're isolating them in some sort of environment where they, they're broken away from the population and they have to create a new back and forth extreme in an extreme. Okay. Mm. So you're right about that. So, so let's say so we've talked about the, perhaps the uniqueness of our relationship with the moon. Well, the, the moon is as it is today, today. But many, many millions of years in the Ooh, past yeah. and many millions of years in the future, I can't give you the math on that, but the moon was, was closer and further away. Okay. So if an animal, perhaps, perhaps the, the salmon, for example, we're talking salmon, fun, fun uh, species, both in the United Kingdom and the United, State, United States, if they are tied within these rhythms um, for their, their growth, their maturation, their, their spawning, their coming into the, out of the ocean, which are, they're also timed. Because we're, we're timing is specifically timed. What if, what if it was ten days long? What if the eastern nation was ten days long? Well, the animals as they exist today couldn't be as they are today. Because they would, hmm. so they would be. You, maybe they might be salmon, but there would be something different about those salmon because they haven't a ten day environment change in salmon is completely different. It becomes it's not a different animal. But it clearly, it, I mean, it's not a new species, perhaps it could be, maybe, but it, it's different. Okay. Well, in fact, in fact, it's almost impossible to tell what, what that would mean, right? It, 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 but it's clearly highly significant. Exactly. <laughs> Cause so they're so, because they're so adapted to a 29-day lunar period. So now we're going to speak to the females another. in your audience because they already know this. And the guys are like, oh, uh, okay. The women's menstrual cycle. Is on is on track with the, the light dark cycle of the moon. It's a thing. It just is. But others, um, very few. Actually, we'll start with very few animals have menstrual cycles. It's a bunch of primates and the elephant shrew. So we're talking about um, fifteen in total, maybe sixteen, seventeen, something like that. Okay. And most of them don't have a twenty-nine half day uh, menstrual cycle. They have. They're like twenty-two, twenty-three days. I think a chimp is twenty-three days. Um, so it's us, it's us, the orangutan, and I think the gorilla are, are about the unsync with the moon. So why are all these species across this planet um, not on sync with the moon, whether they're in some sort of seasonality or they're within the lunar cycle? Who made us? It's a good question. Were we made? Were we in fact made to be or created might be the word, right? You know what? The eyes of God, right? Look at were we in fact created to be within the cycle of the moon or is, 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 was it an accident, an accident that couldn't have happened at any time in existence of this planet only within when the homo sapiens were actually in Nanthils perhaps as well. Uh, all the hominids were within their menstrual cycles were variable or flexible or elastic enough to be, to, become part of the cycle of the moon so that people could learn to tell time and they can create these calendars and only do these wonderful things that we do today. That was a mouthful. What, it, it, well, yeah, I can see. So, so it's almost, <clears throat> it's, it's part of the selective process that you, that, yes. that maybe having a tribe of people that where, where, where the half, the half the folk of the tribe are, have, have a, a, an even deeper connection to lunar cycles gives them 
a selective advantage, right? Exactly. So, I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's because I, it's one of those. It's, it's. I mean, I've because I've heard this before about. You know, there always seems to be a hot debate about whether menstrual cycles are indeed have any sort of whether it's just coincidence. And I, and I can give an, an example of a similar coincidence where we just so happen to be in a time where this is true. And that's the size, the, the angular dimension of the moon being the same as the sun. So that you, you know, we're, we're living in a bizarre period mm-hmm. where you can actually have a total lunar eclipse, and and it's not always been the case, and if, and it will stop being the case in not that too far, not not that too far a future. There's a kind of weird coincidence. So we we could be in one of those weird coincidences, or is or is or has there actually been a an established link where people think that 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 really is a link of links, if you see what I mean, that, that, that you can fairly establish and say, no, our menstrual cycles are related to lunar cycles. So what we could say, we can't say that they're related. We can, we can say they are in the same timing. So I don't, think the, mm. I don't think the relation, I think there is no relationship. I think that... All right, okay. I think there's no relationship. So I think that ch- if chimpanzees are at 23 days, sometime deep in, in the past, when our moon had a 29.5-day lunar cycle... If chimpanzees had existed, chimpanzees perhaps would be rule, would have ruled the world. Hmm. See? Okay. So what we do with the, yeah, Drake, yeah. the Drake equation, okay? And, and Seti is never going to invite me to speak. I, I, I get it. Okay. It's, <laughs> I, I've accepted in life that it's not going to be my place in the world. So the Drake equation takes our solar system and projects the numbers into space. Okay? Into the cosmos. Cosmos, right? Okay. But what if our experience is so unique? Because there's no other planet that has a, a solar lunar system like we do. And I bet you, if you look off into space, if if you looked at all the planet, you know, all the planets and all the moons, you're not going to find the relationship we have. It's just not going to be. But not only does it have to be this this one moon relationship um, that's not just disastrous with tides and things like that, but it also have has relationship with an animal that has a menstrual cycle that is on sync with that with the moon. So when you start proje- when people project the, the Drake equation out there into the you know the infinite beyond, they say, well, the, numerically it's eventually going to work out. But I'm going to tell you that the, the constriction is so huge that it's unlikely to work out the way that it worked out for us. Now I'm not going to say that there is life out there because there I, I have no doubt there's life in out there, but I, I, none of I, none of us can prove it. But what I will say is you can't use the Drake equation to project that life because it's missing the key element which is this biological time, the relationship between the sun and the moon, our sun and our moon and the, and the biology on this earth. So you're never going to have salmon in, in Alpha Centauri or whatever, you know, the, the third moon of Alpha Centauri. Um, and, you, and what really constricts it is this concept of the menstrual cycle. Because there's only like 17 species on this planet, including the elephant shrew, which I just, you know, it, hmm. uh, um, it, it, it's just... It's so constrictive as a concept. Now, d- d- does <laughs> does the elephant's shrew get any um, any any benefits? Does it d- does it seem to have a competitive edge over its shrew competitors? Or? Well, we we uh, don't know. I don't know. But but it would. Uh, but it's, it's, I think it's like a twelve day lineal cycle, so it doesn't help in terms of the moon itself. So, looking through the eyes of God through the vision. Which is really, we talk about the eyes of God is really in the Abrahamic religion. It's Abraham, right? I mean, he's the man, right? 
Okay, it was mm. mythologically the man at best. Okay, so Abraham, he came up with the concept of one God by recognizing just what we talked about today. What he and there's a book called mm. Josephus. Josephus is um, was a story about the time of Jesus Christ. Um, and Josephus wrote about, you know, people's maids and their, you know, slaves. And he, he's not like a political guy. He, he just, he t he's a story. Guy. Mm. Um, Josephus said that Abraham found, determined that there was a God by looking at the, the, the plants and the animals in his environment and that they were synchronized by the sun, the moon, and the stars. In fact, stars, you, birds migrate by stars. So we, we, we could throw the mix. Okay. So he said that the, the, these animals synchronized by the, or they're, they're, they're given direction by the sun and the moon and the stars. And the sun and the moon and the stars have no benefit in themselves. We humans are the ones that have the benefit. Therefore, someone or someone or something beyond ourselves is giving us that benefit. And that's where he came up with the one God. Okay. Mm. So he, so he was, so in his time, in his place, he knew what he knew when the, the, you know, the, the sheep dropped their young. I mean, he knew when they made them naturally, when they were naturally made versus when you artificially made them. They, they weren't stupid. They knew what this, how the fish run in the rivers and the antelope and whatever. They knew they knew all the biological clocks up in the same way that the Native Americans did in their calendars in North America and Siberia. It's, it's, it's basic pre-light bulb technology. Okay. But Abraham decided that he was going to mix up a story he, um, whereas having you know the moon as a god and the sun as a god and those stars as a bunch of gods, he said there's a one god and this one god synchronizes the whole thing that makes life possible on this earth. So one could say I'm not a, I, I can tell you I'm I'm a human a secular humanist I'm you know I'm not an atheist I'm, I'm not I'm a religious person I'm a secular humanist I think hu yeah. we determine what life will be for us you know you know except for a few asteroids hitting and things like that right. But we determine our, our destiny. So, but he wasn't that far off. He had the biology. He had the biology. He had the astronomy. He had, he had this biological clock stuff pretty much down. But he he said it was all one versus many that controlled this because he himself was he was looking at this. He must have been looking at you know when do when do the the first when do the the sheep mate the first sheep mate. And when do the first sheep drop their young? And how do we, how can I determine whether there'll be success, you know, based on the time of year when they drop? So he pondered these same questions and he couldn't come up with a better answer than I could. Um, that I can't see through the eyes of God. I can't see the vision of, of the, the, what will happen beyond three years. Um, I can't tell you the cycles of the plants and, of the plants and animals more or less. And I am a mere mortal, just like, Everybody else listen to this podcast. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's almost the story of gravity, isn't it? I mean, it's like you've got it's it, it's gravity is the is the singular force that's doing it all. That's that's got us. That's got the the Earth and the Sun and the Moon and the and the and the stars in their positions doing their dance. That's determining absolutely everything i mean down to like you said down to migratory patterns of animals and how successful that migration will be that particular year because of the, res the particular resonances almost in that in that in the clockwork and matt that's that would there. be a very abrahamic tradition a perspective without yeah. any question to, to say it's yeah. gravity 
or a space curved. I don't know. You know, I don't know how it works. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 yeah, we we know that there's there's something even wrong with the space curve idea as well. There's something <laughs> not quite right with it. But <laughs> but we, we get we, yeah, we get even more go down even more rabbit holes. It, it's yeah. Do you know what? I, I I'm I'm ashamed to say I've never actually thought about how the the lunar cycles keep out of step with the with the with the with the the cycle of day and night and 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 and, and the seasons i've just never actually kind of because you <laughs> really kind of thought you, that yeah never you play in your sky watching you say well next week or next month for the club what you mm. don't look at is next the next five years yeah and that's how that's how the fisher the wildlife biologists missed it as well well first they wouldn't look at the moon period but the, that's how people, the, the chronobiologists, the people are, you know, the fellow I called him at that two days after Christmas Eve. And I said, you know, has anybody published this before? And I got the silence because he hadn't looked beyond um, more than a year. And so he didn't recognize mm. that the moon was out. Like, I mean, he knew, this guy knew it. I mean, in, in the back of his head, he knew it. And he, he was absolutely brilliant. Well, yeah. Uh, Paul, yeah. Um, he didn't, he, but he didn't make that connection. That's why everything, Everything, all animals, and people will say it's the weather, it's the rain, it's the tides. It isn't. It isn't. It's all biological. Mm. And so, the, and when I was working through this hypothesis, I would talk to physiologists, people who study uh, endocrinologists, people who study the 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 chemistry within the body that determines what you're going to do, where, and when. And so, this is. It's not just the observation of what people are doing, but we have a smoking gun of actually how the chemistry works. And for all these different animals, and we can tell what that we can explain why they do what they do. Um, it's not just, you know, Bernie cop ripping off Abraham and coming up with a different mm. narrative. Um, but there's actually, we can actually look the biochemistry to the same thing. So I did this long, long, long time ago. And this is like in the early 2000s. And people used it in, they began to use it in, in, in wildlife um, management circles. And years later, I, I remember I was sitting at a, at a restaurant with my daughter. Because by that time she's like in middle school, and we're up from Canada. We're up in BC, Canada. We were, um, so it wasn't even near to my like home turf. Home turf, and these people in the booth next to us were telling this story, and it wasn't an American anymore. You know, it was some guy. You know, yeah. it, it wasn't yeah. from Oregon. And, you know, so they they lost. But it was it was this guy who was he was you know he was looking at the salmon in the river and had a vision or something like that. But it was this. It was fundamentally the same story. So people around the world, people picked up this in North America, and it became it became like a thing. And this this mythical guy who nobody remembers his name anymore, um, and where he came from, and that, or even J. E. Thorpe from the University of Glasgow hmm. um, was his inspiration for a book written about 1980, Rhythmic Activity in Fishes. But I dropped the concept. I, I so I dropped this. And back, and then about 2014, I was looking at something, and I and there was a missing element that I there was a missing element in some cave art that I was I had been studying that I studied way back when, and I said, oh, now I got it, I got it. So I was going to write a paper for a journal that I had written before the Griffith Observatory, Observer, which is, comes out of the Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles. Uh, Krupp is a major player, um, so I was got I I pitched him. I pitched him a, a, an article based on this concept of the updating, and before he even got the before he even responded back to me, I was looking at other images, and I saw um, I was looking at an image um, 
about about 40,000 years ago, 34 to 40,000 years ago in an, in an Iberian cave. And at that time, there was redating a, a new way to redate cave art, and they could push things back further in time and be very accurate about it. So things that they thought were 12 became 24, and things that some people thought were 50 became 12. Mm. <laughs> so so there's, there's a lot of controversy. People had to read, write books, and tough luck. So anyway, there was a cave, uh, El Castillo Cave, and um, called the Gower of Discs, 10 meters across. And I was looking at this thing, and I was counting the red discs, just doing the lunar timing stuff. I figured I could, you know, I might find something cool. And then I saw, you know, that looks like an elephant, you know. And there were elephants in Europe at the time. There were straight tusk elephants, have these humped heads like, like a mammoth. But this one had a flat head. So it looked like an African elephant. Okay. Uh, it seemed like an African elephant to me. And, um, and then there was another animal that looked like a, you know, that looks like a lion. And, um, and it, but it, it had a mane, whereas European, animal, European lions were not depicted with manes. And so, but of course, African lions have mates. Hmm. And so I contacted someone I'd met years before in China. I lived in Beijing for four years. Sort of like a British thing to do, you know, you live overseas, right? <laughs> so I lived in Beijing. And this fellow named was George Shower. And George Shower, um, he's still alive. And he was the mentor to everybody you could imagine wildlife biology. Like, Jane Go he was Jane Goodall's mentor. So he's the man, right? And nobody, nobody argues what George hmm. says. And he's humble. And he, he doesn't, he's a very super nice guy. He just, he's about protecting the animals. So I said who I was, and I met him back, you know, in Beijing when he was on, he was traveling through. And uh, I said, and he said, well, you know, it's not really what I do these days. And he said, go talk to these three people. So I talked to those three people, and another one answered back. So I went back to George, and I said, George, you know, they didn't answer back. He's like, yeah, okay, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this. Well, a year and a half later, we did a lot. We did a lot. And um, that would be like the perfect lead-in for another episode at a different time, because then we can talk about the, where this who is the who is the who is the who is the elephant and who is the lion which you already should know that one already i mean you should just jumped on that one already. okay but who is the lion and how how could these animals in africa be known in a northern iberian cave thirty four thousand years ago and what other animals are there and what other characters and how do they fit into the the narrative of astronomy, but that's like an hour program in itself. And that is obviously for another time and day. Whoa. <laughs> you can't do that to me. <laughs> oh, so so that that opened up a whole new so you've seen this one picture. You've uh, is it because you had an insight to it or or dumb luck. Completely dumb luck. Completely dumb luck. Dumb luck. It's um just uh, I was just, I was counting the dots. And then I saw, and it, I mean, we worked on that for a year and a half and we, and, and what happened, and then we found a duplicate of it. We found a replica of the same one. So it wasn't a, I don't know which one was first, but it was a replica. And then more recently, another one popped, this year, another one popped up. Um, and so we, there's, it's another narrative. I've given like, uh, freaking, probably like 14 academic conference presentations on this. Um, to argue astronomy, um, history of science, um, mythology, of course, wildlife, a lot of archaeology, and uh, or in, in Europe they call it prehistory, prehistory, pre prehistory. Mm. Um, but yeah, that is that's a discussion for another time, another day, when you know we, you know, I like it. I like the uh, fact that you've set up a part two. This is good. 
Well, that's it's my it's, it's what like, happened in my life. It was it's yeah. We we just covered two thousand to two thousand really two thousand fourteen. So, and then yeah. one then it was like two thousand fifteen. That's where the new the new journey starts, and um. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well, we'll get you on for part two. That that that's good. I like the fact my my appetite is 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 wetted for that. So, so here's a question let's, for you. Let's, let's, go, the poor first part. So, is. Question go, for you. What do you think about hominids like us, based on the biological time concept? And you know, let's just let's just say, hmm. based that if Bernie's right about one percent of this, okay, just one percent of this. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the concept of hominids like us? being in some distant moon or planet on Alpha Centauri? Well, it, it, I mean, <laughs> just straight up practically, I, I, I mean, obviously, it's, it's awful. I mean, I'm kind of with Arthur C. Clarke. Is I, I just cannot see us as these as these like like the salmon i i think i i'd i'd like the salmon that would really struggle outside of a a planet where the the moon happens to be going round on a on a normal lunar cycle and if you changed it slightly you you have to have different salmon you have to have something different so therefore humans going out even to mars it's it's a pretty gross experience i'd imagine and, or finding and, humans on and, mars finding a rich ever finding, being on mars well, yeah. I mean, well, okay, yeah. yeah. If so, if we're going with if we're going with the likelihoods of of a of a universe that's like Star Trek, for example, or or Star Wars, where you find human like <laughs> exactly. creatures, I, I've I've never, you know, I don't think I've ever bought into that. I don't. The only thing that occasionally makes me think that you might is seeing fossils of those those dinosaur fish that look a bit like dolphins and thinking well obviously then th- there's no there's no biological relation to them whatsoever yet there must be some circumstance that's making them look similar and evolve in a similar way so but they're both on earth they're Correct. both on earth with <laughs> with, with a, a considerable amount of things i mean i do buy into the special that kind of special earth kind of uh, philosophy of that's why the Drake equation, I think, is is fairly shaky because we, we, we are unique. I always like to think of it as um, a pack of cards. You know, that whole thing of if you pick up a pack of cards and you shuffle it, that pack of cards has probably never existed ever in the history of mankind because and it's hard to get you it's hard to kind of see things statistically like that and it's it's one of the sort of why we humans are terrible at statistics because it's hard to imagine that 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 organization of cards has probably never happened before it's it's there's so many and it's like you were saying like the, the chances of finding a solar system like ours with this unique set of circumstances no matter how many planets there are out there of which there are billions of billions mm-hmm. of billions it's highly unlikely that you'll get something as unique and as special as what we have maybe similar and and i you know this is an interesting year to have this conversation as well because there seems to be a bubbling a bubbling uh, kind of thing that's coming up that this year is the year that James Webb will have pretty much unequivocal um, evidence that there is biological life on a 
planet on an exoplanet and that, that that it will be pretty compelling evidence and and that's likely to happen this year apparently mm-hmm. you know obviously i'm not a and so it be this is a, it's a good year to talk about these things about you know what 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 on earth will life look like on on those <laughs> outside of this unique system what i could imagine is some sort of water planet where the the animals don't need to travel in time and space to meet because that's what you need the moons for. So they, they, you could have multiple moons and they travel around in a cluster. Um, and they, they, you could have some sort of, the, so they, their, their, their cluster, their bubble becomes their own synchronization. But once you have over time and space, you have to have something to keep them on track. Um, so I'm okay with the concept of lo- life itself. But the concept of intelligent life as we have it, that we can have, in, you know, interstellar communication or we, we're, we're listening for interstellar communication, right? <laughs> we have an accident. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm not so sure about that one. Um, and therefore, um, SETI is never going to invite me to speak. I'm never going to get an award. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, since, and you, by association, have just been put in the doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to say, I, I tend... I tend even without even without this chat of of like, uh, and it has it's, it has made me think about how yeah a, a relationship like you said with with time and space and 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 what that does with migrations and things like that and how important that is to I mean let alone extinction events that mm. have happened that that like create an environment you know we we, we probably would never have. Uh, we probably never would have come into intelligent life like this. Would probably never have come into existence without Chixilub wiping virtually everything out, or yeah. you know, or various other parts like that. And I just think you know, it, it's 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 such a unique system uh, that it's yeah, it's it's hard to think of of them being too much intelligent life out there. I mean, it, life, yeah. yeah, I think life is going to be abundant. Yes. But intelligent life, I do think, you know, no matter how depressing, and then and then, even if you do find intelligent life, it, there's absolutely no reason to think that inter, interstellar <laughs> travel is possible, <laughs> let alone <laughs> let alone practical. You know, it's 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 so it's like so. What if you do find? <laughs> So what if you do find intelligent life out there? It's you, you may not even be able to communicate with it. You might even find a signature of it, only to have realised that it disappeared millions of years ago. <laughs> but we're just getting the light from that signature. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, there's so much to talk about when it comes to when it comes to when it comes to how special Earth is and and how and how that plays into the Drake equation. And I do I like the fact that yeah, you 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 you're probably right that this is. There's an element that seems to be missing from the Drake equation, doesn't there? Yeah, exactly. It's it's it it, ma- it makes assumptions that are not biologically based, astrobiologically mm. based. One could say, is it's not just yeah. So how we're influenced by what is beyond what what Abraham recognized. Yeah, and do you do you think that would be as deep as some other bio, uh, some other astro uh, kind of phenomena? Uh, like procession and the path of Earth through the mil- the you know the bands of the Milky Way and things like that. So prote- you know, procession uh, is an important concept. That's a really important concept um, because because hypothetically, just hypothetically, if you could, which well, of course it changes environments on this Earth. You know, Sahara, the Sahara was green twelve thousand years ago, but through shift in procession, right? Okay. 
It's t- tilting the earth. But perception is also an interesting concept because let's say hypothetically that you could see a, um, an animal on an upheliothic cave and, or actually a bunch of animals. And you could, you know, find that they in fact match with constellations from a different time period that you know that the same, the same animals in the same order, but the animals were in a different season. The animals are in a different season. Why would they be in a, why would the, as constellations, why would they be in a different season? And you would realize at that time that the earth has, you might not call it procession, but you'd realize that the earth tilts, the earth wobbles. And through that wobbling, there is, um, time can be different in the distant past and the distant future, because you've mm. seen constellations that you know that are winter constellations and they, you're seeing them pictured as summertime. I mean, clearly they're all the animals are in their summer stages. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I love, I love things like that. There's the, the, the one of the ones that I like as a, as a sort of biological indicator that's incredibly useful for the, for, uh, is the, um, is those shells that you can pick up that put on a layer of shell practically every day. Mm-hmm. And the thickness of that shell tells you how long that day is. <laughs> And of course, millions of years ago, the days were shorter or longer. Sh- the shorter, days were shorter. I think everything was shorter. <laughs> days were shorter. Uh, yeah, and 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 so their shells are thinner, and and it, and it ties exactly in with the measurement of how f- the Apollo measurements about how far the the moon is is going away from us and and it, and yeah. it ties in exactly to the to the thickness of these shells and etc cetera, etc cetera. you think god i love how all those jigsaw pieces fit together and and like you said if you find cave paintings with 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 stars in different positions and different things then it's just playing into lots of other pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that you know are right and those pieces fit together perfectly and there's just these lines of evidence that keep giving you these you know fantastic things it just all fits together and the, and the, it's especially exciting when you find one that doesn't <laughs> yes it is they said why how, how, it so we uh, it, it's part of our fantastic voyage through the cosmos yeah absolutely absolutely well uh, did you know what let's get you back for part two and you can tell us what happens from 2014 2015 onwards absolutely and, uh, and, and um, you've, you've left us with a little taster well thanks very much bernie for for coming on it has actually kind of blown my mind a little bit i'm gonna have to th- i'm gonna have to be thinking about it <laughs> and uh, I, i'll probably have some questions and hopefully we'll get some uh, listener questions as well that we can ask you at the, the the front end of part two yes and as i say i'm i believe that there is life in the cosmos so i'm not anti-seti i just i believe there's life in the cosmos and um yeah well yeah i'm i'm like i said i think i think we'll find life we'll in find the cosmos out. this year i think i think there'll be there'll be pretty strong evidence for it it's but just, uh that waiting for a call that's is, my is position a hot, yeah, yeah we'll i'm not it, waiting for a call we'll do it again <laughs> i'm um, not waiting we'll match our time zones and uh, i'm at before ryan.com yep. if anybody wants to see more of the work and um get some sneak yeah, peeks what, yeah What's the what's the yeah? But what what is the best place to kind of see your work and 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 where where would you like people to? So I, I have a webpage to? for Ryan.com and that links to every. I have I have lots of um, conference presentations. I have my Twitter links. I have my Pinterest, my Facebook, and the whole map. You know, whole thing is there. Um, <laughs> and people, you know, you, you it it gives a different perspective. Um, 
you know, an astrobiologist, a culture astronomer's perspective, right? You know, it's not all physics. And, um, and that, that was today's program. It was uh, a excellent. little, a yeah, little Darwin, excellent. a little Abraham and mix and J.E. Thorpe from University of Glasgow. We, we found something new. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you, can, you can mix it all up. Uh, astrobiology is a very interesting subject. Yeah. Always, I think, it's, it's got very interesting people in it. I've, I've, some of my favourite books are astro... Well, Carl Sagan, for a start. <laughs> of course. Lewis Cardinal <laughs> and, and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. <laughs> well, well, thank you very much, Bernie. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to, to speak, speak to you next time. Thank you. Have a great day.